may be seated. I hope I do this as well as Nora. <laughs> Our scripture today is from the book of Genesis, chapter 29. As Jacob was journeying, he came to the land of the people of the east. And he looked and he saw a well in the field and three flocks of sheep lying there beside it. For out of that well, when all the flocks were, were gathered, the stone on the well's mouth was removed and all the sheep were watered. And then the shepherds would roll the stone back over the well. Jacob said to them, My brothers, where do you come from? And they said, We are from Haran. He said to them, Do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? And they said, We do. And while he was still speaking with them, Rachel, Laban's daughter, came with her father's sheep, for she was the shepherd. Now, when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of his mother's brother Laban, and the sheep of his mother's brother Laban, Jacob went up and rolled the stone away from the well's mouth and watered the flock of his uncle. Then Jacob kissed Rachel, and he wept aloud. Now when Jacob had been with Laban for about a month, Laban said to Jacob, Just because you are my kinsman, should you therefore work for me for nothing? Now tell me, what shall your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters, the older named Leah, and the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were lovely, and Rachel was graceful and beautiful. Jacob loved Rachel. So he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, It is better that I give her to you than I should give her to some other man, so stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for, for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of his love for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me Rachel that I may make love to her, for the time is completed. So Laban gathered together all the people, and he had a great feast. But in the evening he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob. And he went in and made love to her. Laban gave his maid Zilpah to Leah to be her maid. When morning came, there was Leah. Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? Did I not serve with you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? 
And Laban said, well, we are not in the habit here of giving away our younger daughters before our elder daughters. So finish out the bride week with Leah, and I will give you Rachel. And you can serve me for another seven years. <laughs> Jacob did so and completed the week with Leah. Then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel as a wife. Laban also gave his maid Bilhah to Rachel for her maid. So Jacob went in and made love with Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than he loved Leah. And he served Laban for another seven years. Here ends the reading of God's holy word from long ago for the people of God. Thanks be to God. What are you going to do with that one, Katie? Yikes. This is your story, friends. This is your story. It's complicated. It's complicated. We have been in a sermon series, conveniently enough, titled, It's Complicated. We've been having conversations over the last several weeks about how we navigate life's relationships faithfully and well. Over several weeks, we've talked about how we are made for relationships with other human beings, that relationships are non-negotiable. If you're a human being, got to be in relationship with other people, and that's not always easy. So what do we do with all of that? We've talked about what it means that Jesus called us to love people who are tricky to like. We've talked about navigating conflict in ways that are faithful We've talked about what it means to really and truly forgive. And today, we are navigating happily ever after. Happily ever after. So before we talk about Disney princesses, I'm serious. Let's pray. Thank you for meeting us here today, Jesus in the middle of whatever it is that we are going through, the joys that we are shouting or the challenges that we're buckling under. Thank you for meeting us here. Thank you for providing a word of hope through your word. Thank you for providing a word of challenge, a word of correction. We ask that we might experience all of this in and more in our time of worship today as we listen to these words. Lead and guide us along the way. We pray in your name. Amen. Disney princesses, all right. On the count of three, tell me out loud either your personal favorite Disney princess or the favorite Disney princess of a person that you love. All right? Might date yourself a little bit here. So we'll see. All right? One, two, three. Ariel. Oh, I heard more Ariels in this worship service. It was Cinderella last worship service, close second. I saw my first Disney movie when I was four years old. It was The Little Mermaid in the theater. I was terrified by Ursula. She is the worst. Let's just be honest. She is an octopus with lipstick and hair, you guys. That's awful. 
But everything else about that movie was enchanting to me. There were so many mermaids for a four-year-old who loved mermaids. This was wonderful. They were color-coordinating. They sang. They had a buddy who was a crab who also sang and told jokes. Plus, there was a happy ending to the story, wasn't there? We're going to give you this spoiler alert. Um, this is not the Hans Christian Andersen version of The Little Mermaid. You can Wikipedia that later. You might not thank me. I'm very sorry. This is the good one. This is Disney where Ariel and Prince Eric beat Ursula and then get married on a boat with a, with a mermaid choir. All right? This is the good stuff. It's perfection. And so for weeks, I was wandering around my house, finding all of the box fans going, ah, that's what I was doing. <laughs> it was good. I was thinking about Ariel and Eric and their happy ever after. You're going to have that song stuck in your head. I'm sorry. <laughs> they all live. What is, how does it go? Happily ever after, right? This is a phrase that is at the end of countless stories that we heard growing up and that we still hear. The hero overcomes insurmountable odds. They defeat the powers of evil that are present in their world. They find one another again after they've been separated. They fix all of their problems and they live happily ever after. They live their days together in happiness and peace with perfect hair and matching clothes, right? <laughs> happily ever after. It can be a really lighthearted phrase. But it's also a phrase that carries for us some incredible weight, some pretty serious expectations, because happily ever after means that from here on out, from this point on, from this time forward, things in my life, things in this relationship with that person or with this whole family, things are going to go well. And maybe even better than going well, they're going to go perfectly. I'm never going to be hurt or confused again. I'm never going to be angry or disappointed. I'll never feel sad or misunderstood or misheard. We've mostly applied this phrase, happily ever after, to romantic relationships. But really, honestly, friends, this is a notion that we can apply and that we have applied and that we've been taught to apply to all kinds of relationships. This is how it should go between neighbors and coworkers. This is how it should go between kids and their parents. This is how it ought to go between friends. We have built up relationships. We've been taught to build up all kinds of relationships in idealized ways. We've had expectations for the relationships that we are in. We've talked about this a few months ago in our Everyday Life series that so much of the time, disappointment comes in when there's a gap between what we think and what we hope and what we believe will happen, what actually happens. There's a gap. That gap is the disappointment. It's bound to happen as the expectation of happily ever after meets the reality of life. Disappointment is what happens when there's a gap between expectation and reality. And what we, what we find today in the, in the scripture is Jacob in the midst of his expectations. His story with Rachel starts out like a fairy tale. Might not be a fairy tale for Rachel, right? Let's be honest and say all of that. The women in the story don't get a voice. But at least on Jacob's side, it's a fairy tale. They meet at a well, 
This is a super good meet cute. You know, that's the technique in a, in a romantic comedy where the two people who you know are going to fall in love meet each other for the first time. Usually happens about 10 minutes in in some funny way. This is their meet cute. They're at a well. Do you, um, Rachel is there uh, getting water for her father for one of his many flocks of sheep. And Jacob has traveled a long way to a new country in order to find him a wife. And good news, just like every other fairy tale princess, Rachel is beautiful and wealthy, and she is available. So Jacob looks at her and he knows, I found the one I've been looking for. She checks all the boxes. So what he does is sets about impressing her and wooing her and winning her hand in marriage. Do you catch um, his Disney prince feat of strength at the very beginning there? Did you notice that it usually takes several shepherds to lift the stone off of the well? And Jacob does it all by himself. Check him out. And then he kisses her. And then he cries. <laughs> which is cool. You should definitely do that next time you kiss someone. And then he follows her home. And he meets her father. And they come to an arrangement. Rachel will marry Jacob if Jacob works for Laban for seven years. Are we tracking so far? Right? And those seven years for Jacob pass by in a flash, and suddenly it is wedding day, and there's an all-night, all-out wedding feast, and he and his new wife head for the wedding tent. They make things official, and they call it a night. What an ending to the fairy tale story, right? Except it's not quite over, because in the morning when Jacob wakes up, surprise! It's not Rachel! by his side, it's Leah. Jacob has been deceived, which if you know and you read a little bit more about his story in Genesis, I'd, I'd encourage you to do that. It's pretty ironic. Now, if he wants to marry the person of his dreams, he's going to have to work another seven years for Laban. It's not a fairy tale ending for him by any stretch of the imagination. It's really important to ask yourself when you hear a story from the Bible, to ask yourself, where do I see myself in this story? So maybe you don't see yourself as uh, marrying the cousin you didn't intend to marry. But ask yourself that question. Where do I see myself in this story? Maybe you, like Jacob, woke up one day, maybe that day is today, you woke up one day to discover the expectations of a relationship and its realities do not meet. That there is a gap. There's disappointment. Maybe you woke up next to a person who is different from the one that you married. A person you thought you knew. Maybe you woke up to discover a sibling who has changed dramatically from the one that you grew up with. Or a parent who can no longer share their memories with you or a friend who has drifted away from all of those things that you once had in common. Maybe a person that you love is different now than they were then, and you wake up and you realize it, and it hurts. You had a dream for how it would go when you had an ideal friend or a parent or a child or a sibling or a spouse or, you know, insert your relationship status here. 
and you wake up and you realize that that dream has not come true. Or maybe for you, it's not a relationship in your life that defies your expectations, that has provided you disappointment, but instead you woke up to a life that you never would have chosen for yourself. A life that you never would have dreamed up when you were a kid. Your bank account balance is low, your professional career is stalled, or your job is gone, or you have a new health diagnosis, or maybe for you it's turning on the news every morning to hear stories that bring worry, to learn about leaders and policies and places that bring anger, a church that feels divided on things that matter. All of us at some point or another have woken up to a life that we didn't expect and a story that we don't want. All of us. Maybe that's you. Maybe that's you. So I want you to hear, friends, if you don't hear anything else today, I want you to hear and be reminded that it is you and you are loved in the middle of that disappointment by God and by this church. And I also want you to hear it's not just you. It's not just you. So maybe we can all agree. We can agree as a church, no matter how we're connected here at Messiah, that we're going to be people who leave happily ever after in the fairy tales. Can we agree on that? That there is no such thing as a storybook perfect relationship. There's no such thing as a perfect life. That your relationships, your life, they're not going to go according to your hopes, your dreams, your plans. They're just not. They're just not. You cannot plan life. You cannot plan other people. You can try. And please share your tips with me after church if you have figured this out. <laughs> but what history has shown time and time again is that people are impossibly unplannable. Maybe you've noticed the Bible's not a fairy tale story. If you haven't yet, Open the Bible up to a random page, find a story with people in it, and see what you learn. I'm going to bet, if I was allowed, because I'm a Methodist, I'm going to bet that you're going to find a story about a person who is impossibly unplannable. Because that's how God makes us. God gives us the ability to choose, and so we choose some things, sometimes, that are unplannable. The people who are in the Bible, no matter what you heard in Vacation Bible School, are generally speaking not role models for moral living, okay? They're not. They don't have stories that are made picture perfect for Instagram. They're not cleaned up to impress the neighbors, and yet I hope that we notice something as we read those stories, that the story of real, unplannable human lives is still a story that God chooses to be present in. And it's still a story that God sees fit to tell. When we open up the Bible, we see stories about choices that real people make because they can make choices and all the things that they learn after they make those choices and all the brokenness that they experience as a result of their actions. We hear about how they hurt and how they are hurt. We hear about how they're faithless and about how they're faithful. We hear about their, their change the change that they go through throughout their lives. All of us change. And the people that we are in relationships with, they change too. We're not the same people we were last month or last year or 5, 10, 25 years ago, if you've been alive that long. 
We're not going to be the same people next month, I hope. Next year, 5, 10, 25 years from now, we're going to be constantly changing, shaped by the stuff that happens outside of us and that happens within us. And that's the story that the Bible is telling about how human beings change and they learn and they grow and they adapt and they either move toward God and the story that God is telling or away from God. But no matter what, God remains faithful to them how God continues to show up even into today, how God continues to move and work in our lives, and how we choose to respond to that presence, how God shows up even when happily ever after, as we have expected it to, doesn't materialize for us. God is always moving and working, and by God's grace, we're able to respond to that presence in a continuing way for the rest of our lives will continue to unfold, hopefully into the bigger story of becoming more who God calls us to be. But we can't see what that will be yet. We can't know what it's going to be like for someone else that we love. Only God holds that full picture of our lives. So friends, your relationships will change because the people in the relationships are changing. Now, what I want to say here is that the relationship not having a happily ever after, that's not what causes us harm. The lack of a happily ever after isn't what causes harm. The hurt doesn't inherently come from things not going according to plan. What causes harm is when we stubbornly try to hold on to the plan when the plan is no longer working. So we hold tight to our expectation instead of choosing to see the reality of the situation and to allow it to unfold. Look at the story of Jacob and Leah and Rachel. Jacob is so passionately focused on loving Rachel, the wife he can't have, that Leah, the wife he does have, is stranded in a loveless marriage. Rachel, the wife that he loves then desperately tries for years to have children, and Leah, his unloved wife, has three sons in quick succession, sons that she names after the misery that she experiences in the midst of it. Reuben means something like, he has seen my misery. And Simeon means something like, he has heard my cries. Levi means something like, he will join me. These are names of unrequited, unfulfilled longing. She's holding on tight to her expectations. No matter how many children she has, no matter how hard she tries, she can't be Rachel. It hurts. It hurts when we hold on tight to our expectations instead of acknowledging and learning to see the reality of the situation in which we find ourselves. But if it hurts to hold on tight to an expectation instead of seeing the reality then it stands to reason that it might heal to embrace that reality. That it might be a means of healing and hope to open ourselves up to the reality that is in front of us. Leah has a fourth son and she names him Judah, which means something like thanksgiving or praise. Somewhere along the way, Leah lets go. Seems that she finds peace in her reality, and it's from that line, Leah's line of Judah, that we have our Savior. Jesus is a descendant 
of Judah. So as, as we move forward and we think about the complicated nature of what it means to navigate happily ever after, as much as you are able, embrace your reality. Surrender your ideas of what happily ever after has meant, should mean, could mean. Surrender all of it to God. Let it go and see what new things come. And know that God will be faithful in the middle of it forever and always. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Jesus, we come before you holding on to, burdened by our expectations, by the weight of happily ever after, and the way it holds us down. Jesus, we pray that as we seek life-giving relationships, you would lead and guide us, Lord. Jesus, we ask you for new eyes to see and new ears to hear and hearts to welcome and be open to the people in our lives as they are right now, not as we wish they would be someday, not we, who we hope them to be with just a little bit of help, but who they are right now as we seek life-giving relationships. Lead and guide us, Lord. We ask that as we let go of our expectations, we might embrace your reality, that we might move forward in healthy and life-giving ways, seeing your potential and your purpose and your possibility. Because when we let go, Jesus, when we let go, you free us up to the new things that are to come. As we seek life-giving relationships, lead and guide us, Lord. We pray all of this in your holy name. Amen. As you're able, friends, let's